18. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go with me to the book of Matthew chapter 18. Gospel of Matthew chapter 18. If you're new to New Life Fellowship, I want to welcome you. My name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor at New Life. If this is your first time here, uh, I am thrilled you're with us. At the end of the service, I'll be downstairs and I'd love to just uh, meet you before you head out. Now, before I get into my sermon today, I want to offer a couple of words surrounding uh, the recent ruling by the Supreme Court on same-sex marriage, and I'm certain that I'll be offering um, more words about this in days to come, but I wanted to share a couple of words before my sermon, and I think it's important that um, I say a couple of words because uh, marriage is a value at New Life. Uh, Marriage to Christ is one of our five M's. It's one of our five values, and I fully understand that our congregation is comprised of people that have many different perspectives. And I think it's a beautiful thing that we can uh, differ on issues and yet worship together. And what it says to me is that we gather fundamentally around the truth that we are followers of Jesus. Uh, And that's where our true identity comes from. And yet this issue remains perhaps the most polarizing issue in our day. And all you have to do is look at Facebook uh, to see that. Um, But before I get into my message, I just want to say three things here. Uh, Number one, uh, regardless of your position on the matter, and there are new lifers that are on either side of the spectrum there, um, the first responsibility of the Christian is to have a loving posture towards other people. And it's really important that our posture comes before our position. Really important that our posture comes before our position. And one of the reasons we teach contemplative spirituality at New Life is because if our posture and our words don't come out of a place of silence and prayer, our words will do more harm than good. And so silence and prayer is not just so that you can have a good time with Jesus. It's also that we can express the love of Jesus to others. The second thing is that uh, New Life affirms that Scripture teaches that marriage is heterosexual in design. And for 2,000 years, the church has held this position, and we do as well. Uh, And yet we also uh, recognize that the government has the power to choose how to define marriage as it will. And so although this is our position and that we stand in line with the church through history and tradition, uh, we will continue to extend Christ's welcome uh, and love to all people while also uh, calling ourselves to submit to Scripture. And third, let me just say this before I get into my message here. I know many of you, and I've received uh, emails and inbox messages, are concerned and afraid. Uh, for those of you who are thinking about our country's trajectory, our moral trajectory, the, the, the direction that we're heading, and many of you are very afraid. You're thinking about your children, your children's children. You're wondering, where is this country going? But if I can say what Jesus said to his disciples many times and what God has said to the people of God over and over again is do not be afraid. You could be sure that God wasn't surprised by this, all right? Uh, and so God's not going, what, what, what just happened? You know, and so... Uh, and so uh, he's in control, everybody. And so one of the best things that we can be is a non-anxious presence to the world. 
And what a wonderful opportunity we have as new lifers that are on either end of the spectrum. Some of you vote blue, some of you vote red, and, and we come together. What a wonderful opportunity we have to demonstrate the love of Jesus to each other and demonstrate the love of Jesus to people that don't know Jesus as well. And so I see it as a wonderful opportunity that God has given us. And so we'll continue in some dialogue, but let's have the humility of Jesus as we enter into that. And so uh, I think it's appropriate that I also speak today on forgiveness. I'm speaking of forgiveness, and I think this is an appropriate message for us. And as part of our Vital Signs series, think of it as part two to the message that Greg gave a couple of weeks ago on community. Uh, And this message is important on every level of community that we find ourselves in, whether it's the community of your three roommates in your uh, three-bedroom apartment you live in or the community you find in your family or extended family, the community in your workplace, in your school, or the community in our church or small groups or our global and national community, uh, what we're going to talk about today is appropriate on every single level there. And so let's pray together. Let's invite Jesus to speak to us uh, through this uh, important topic today. Father, we pray that you would speak to us You would change our hearts. Uh, You would help us to be the people that you're calling us to be. And so, Lord, as we open up this passage of Scripture, I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to us with a level and depth uh, that penetrates us to the deepest part of our being. May we walk out of this place having encountered the risen Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Uh, There are a few guarantees in life, but there is one uh, thing that is inevitable. At some point in your life or another, someone will hurt you. Someone will hurt you. Someone might insult you. Someone might leave you when you need them the most. Someone might rip you off. Someone might disappoint you. And the other guarantee in life is not just that someone will hurt you. The other guarantee in life is that that hurt will cut you deep in your heart. And when this experience comes our way of hurt, there are two agonizing options before us, either to forgive or not to forgive. And whatever uh, decision you try to uh, choose, it will be difficult. And the issue of forgiveness is not something that is unique to us in this room. Forgiveness is an issue that happens every day in the playgrounds after school in Queens, It happens in the boardrooms in major corporations. It happens in homes every day, and of course it happens in churches. And actually, just for a moment, I just want you to think, who is that one person right now you're having a hard time forgiving? Uh, Can you think about that person? Some of you can think about three and four people. I want you to think about that person as we go through this message today. The topic of forgiveness has uh, filled the national conversation recently. After nine African-American Christians were killed by a young white male, uh, the family members of the deceased had an opportunity to share words with uh, Dylan Roof as he was detained. And if you listened to their words and if you saw the news, you saw that their words were stunning. If you watched the clips, you heard family members repeatedly offering words of forgiveness. And as you listened to them through tears and through pains, we witnessed something extraordinary. But not everyone is as forgiving. 
Uh, someone wrote an op-ed column in the New York Times, and the title of the column was, I have no interest in forgiveness for the terrorist in Charleston. And she went on to write these words here, I, for one, am done forgiving. Have you ever said that before yourself? I'm done with forgiving. And so on the one hand, we see extraordinary faith and forgiveness. On the other hand, you see unforgiveness and rage. And although we might not admit it and say it out loud, many of us, if not all of us in this room, have had a hard time with forgiveness. For many of us, it's not something that comes easy. And actually, some people go to the grave with unforgiveness. There is deep-seated unforgiveness between countries. In sports, Pete Rose, the great baseball player, found guilty of gambling. He's still, uh, no one, a lot of people have not forgiven him for what he's done back in the day. And they're saying, you're not going into the Hall of Fame for gambling on this sports game. Unforgiveness is everywhere. And one of the reasons we hold unforgiveness is because somehow unforgiveness gives us a perceived power over someone else. But it also does something else. Unforgiveness tends to give us a perceived power over someone else, but places us in a real prison instead. And you think, oh, I got power over you because I'm holding this against you, but yet what it really does in all actuality is it places us in a real prison instead. And yet the defining characteristic of Christianity and of Christians should be forgiveness. Now in our text this morning, we have one of the more important stories about forgiveness and what it means for the Christian. And there are two parts of the story, two acts, if you will. And so I'm going to read the first part, and then we'll come back to the second part in a moment. In Matthew chapter 8, beginning of verse 21, hear the word of the Lord. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began to settle in, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold or 10,000 talents in that day was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had, all he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Now, our text begins with Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, trying to show off to Jesus, as he always tries to do, walking on water, cutting people's ears off. In this case, he's trying to show off to Jesus again. Peter comes up to Jesus and asks a very important theological and a very important discipleship question. He says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And you have to know at that moment that Peter's trying to show off. And I know this because in rabbinic literature, the teaching of that day that rabbis taught was that you only had to forgive a person up to three times a day. That's all you had to do. And so Peter understands this idea. And being very, very generous, he doubles what the rabbi said and then added one more for good measure. And then he said, Jesus, seven times? And at that moment, he's expecting Jesus to go, Peter, you did it again. 
You are the man. Maybe a fist bump for Peter, a chest bump for Peter, the pound and the hug for Peter. Peter, you always make me proud. Seven times that is remarkable. But instead of Jesus saying, Peter, that is fantastic. That's the spirit that I want you to have. Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And at that moment, you know, Peter's jaw dropped, and he was going, what, 70? I can't even count that high, 77 times. And after Jesus says this, then he tells a story to make his point. He tells a story about a boss, a man who owed his boss 10,000 talents. And in ancient times, the, the talent was the largest unit of currency in the Greek language. And so you think of it as the $100 bill. And so this man owes an astronomical amount of money to his boss. And so when Jesus uh, tells this story to the people that are listening, he's, he's being a little bit humorous because it's like Jesus is saying, a man owed his boss 10 gazillion dollars. And the people say, what did you do to owe 10 gazillion dollars? How did you get in this much debt in the first place? And so Jesus is saying with some humor there that they would go, there's, no, there's, no, there's not even a category for that kind of money. But also Jesus is being very serious here. And so Jesus is trying to make a point. And basically saying the debt that the man owes his boss is like the debt that we owe to God. And we carry a debt before God too overwhelming to pay. And have you ever felt that way before? You look at your life and you become aware of your failures. You become aware of your sins your mistakes, and you come to the conclusion, there's no way God can forgive me of that. I read a story last week of two friends having a conversation about God and forgiveness. And one friend said, I can't fathom the concept of being of forgiving and being forgiven. And he said, I don't think God could ever forgive me. Maybe he can forgive 70% of my sins, but not all of them. Maybe he felt that way too. The man in our story felt that way. And so he, when he sees his boss, the boss says, where's my money? And it says these words here, at, that, at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he, said, he begged, and I will pay back everything. And everyone who's listening to the story knows it's impossible. You need lifetimes to pay that kind of money, and that is the point. And so the boss, in great generosity, forgives him of his debt. And it says the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. And at this very moment, after this encounter with this generous and forgiving boss, you would expect the man to go running in the street. You would expect him to start hugging strangers on the street, kissing babies on the street, kicking his heels in the street. I imagine him putting on his headphones and start listening to Pharrell's happy. I mean, this guy is happy. Clap along if you feel like a long. Uh, 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 uh. This guy is happy. Cause I'm happy. I mean, he, I mean, he's kissing everybody. He's hugging everybody. He's doing spin moves. You wouldn't think this is how the story should end, right? If you've been forgiven a gazillion, if you've seen Austin Powers like Dr. Evil, if you've been considered a gazillion dollars, you'd be bumping to Pharrell as well. But the story doesn't end that way. And when we pick up on the story, this is what it says. 
When that servant went out after being forgiven, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Comparatively speaking, it's like five dollars. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. These are the same words this man just uttered to the boss. Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he, until he, could, he should pay back all he owed. And this is how my heavenly father would treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. What in the world just happened? The forgiven man walks out the boss's office and suddenly spots a co-worker who owes him some money. And let me give the queen's version of it. The co-worker approaches him and says, my man, good to see you. And the forgiven man remembers something. The guy who has just been forgiven, he remembers something. He remembers that six months ago, they were at Starbucks together, standing in line. The guy left his wallet at home. He needed $5 for a grande caramel macchiato. <laughs> and he said, left my wallet. And he looked around and said, anybody got $5 I can borrow? I will pay you back. And the forgiven man in the story says, I got you. I got $5 for you. He gives him the $5, and now this guy acts like it never happened. So he's walking to the street, and he sees his co-worker, and he grabs him by the collar and says, where's my $5, you rat? You owe me. And the co-worker says the same thing. Be patient with me. I, I, I will pay you back in due time. And the man refuses. And so other co-workers, they were on the line at Starbucks probably too as well. They, they're all nosy, and they go to the boss and say, this is what happened. And the boss hears about it and throws the first man in prison. And this story teaches us such a valuable lesson. And here it is. You can be forgiven but still be in prison. You can be forgiven but still be in prison. Notice in the story that true freedom is not just in receiving forgiveness. True freedom is in granting forgiveness to others. And let that sink in for a moment. It wasn't enough for him to receive forgiveness. To be free, to be totally free was when he was able to extend forgiveness to someone else. And the man in the story refuses to allow forgiveness to overflow to others, and as a result, he remains in bondage. And this is what unforgiveness does for us and to us. It's been said that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. And you can be forgiven but still be in prison, shackled, in bondage. Not this moment before I talk about how we can move forward in forgiving others, which really speaks to our freedom that we have in Christ. 
uh, there are a few things I need to say to nuance forgiveness. Because there's a lot of confusion around the, t- the subject of forgiveness. And I want to just say what forgiveness doesn't mean. Forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting what someone has done. There's sometimes you can't even forget what someone has done. The pain was so deep, and maybe it'll come a day, but it does not mean forgetting what someone has done. It doesn't mean that there are no consequences to what others have done. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you no longer feel the pain of grieving. To forgive someone doesn't mean that there will be reconciliation necessarily. To forgive others doesn't mean that things will be as they once were. And I didn't put it up here, but to forgive someone does not mean excusing what someone else has done. And it doesn't mean that we don't work for justice in the process. And so in addition to all of this here, I want to add one more. And it is that forgiveness usually takes time. Forgiveness usually takes time. There's a great little book I've been reading called uh, Don't Forgive Too Soon. Don't Forgive Too Soon. Wonderful Christian book. And in the book, the author writes about the stages of healthy forgiveness. And the author writes that when we are hurt, we are tempted to either act as a passive doormat, letting the person do whatever they want to us again, or strike back and escalate the cycle of violence. You do that to me, watch what I'll do to you. And so the book shows how to forgive in an active, healthy way by moving through a five-stage process. And I like the way that this author, because it's a journey. Forgiveness is a journey. It's a choice, and it's also a journey. And these are the five steps. I Briefly, I just want to share them with you to give some nuance around this important subject here. The first thing is the stages of denial. And in the stage, while we know something ugly happened, we don't admit it hurt us. We just go on in everyday life. Just, uh, no big deal, don't worry about me, I'll be okay. And then denial turns into anger. And in this stage, you recognize clearly we are upset, and we begin to rehearse to ourselves over and over what the other person did to us. Have you ever done that before? I can't believe she said that to me. You wake up 3 o'clock in the morning, what did he just do? I can't believe this. Brushing your teeth, what did she, I can't believe, all of a sudden, you know, eating some cereal. What just happened? I mean, it, all of a sudden it just comes up and anger comes. Next stage is bargaining. That in this stage we contemplate the possibility that we can forgive, but only if the person does exactly what we want them to do. Here are the conditions, and then I'll think about forgiving you. And so we're bargaining there. And then it doesn't end there. It goes to the stage of depression. In this stage, we begin to give up waiting for the other person to change, and we lose hope. We blame ourselves for what has happened. And finally, and this is not like necessarily, uh, you know, month one, month two, month three. This This can be a long process here. The last stage is acceptance. That in this stage, we accept what happened, we recognize that it was in the past, and we acknowledge that we have learned from our experience. And acceptance doesn't mean that everything in life was healed, but it does free us from the tyranny of the event and makes it possible for us to move forward. And in all of this, we need the grace of God. Because whatever the process looks like, it is painful to forgive. It is a death to forgive. It is a crucifixion to forgive. And yet, in spite of the the anguish of forgiveness and the process of forgiveness, there's hardly anything more beautiful. There's a famous story of Pope John Paul II. 
1981, a Turkish Muslim man approached him as he was traveling in his open motorcade in Rome. And this man who was standing just a few feet away, he fired a gun several times, uh, critically wounding the Pope, uh, struck him with four bullets, uh, his torso, his right arm, and his left hand. And the shooter was uh, immediately apprehended, and the Pope was rushed to the hospital, and, and he would spend 22 days in the hospital. And in his first statement after the attempted assassination, uh, the Pope requested that people, and here it is, quote, people pray for my brother whom I have sincerely forgiven. Now, some of you would say, of course he has to say that. He's the Pope. It'd be messed up to both say, watch what I get out of the hospital, what's going to happen to me. <laughs> Wait till I see you in the street. Watch what's going to happen. It'd be a little strange for the Pope to say that. And so you might say, no, no, that's the Pope just being the Pope. Uh, but uh, back in the day, if that had happened to another pope, uh, that could have led to a holy war against the Muslim people and, so, and against the Muslim world. And so two years later, uh, Pope John Paul II, he visited this man in prison. And they sat in a private room face-to-face, knee-to-knee, with the pope holding the hand of this would-be assassin, demonstrating a profound act of forgiveness. And there are two iconic uh, images and photographs that emerged from the two encounters the Pope had with this man. The first photograph is really the, the shocked face of and the hurt face of the Pope uh, just after being shot. And the second is really the shocked face of the shooter as the Pope met him and forgave him. So we have two images, two questioning faces. The first image is a victim of unexpected and undeserved violence. The second image is a person being the recipient of unexpected and undeserved forgiveness. And in these two pictures, we have the core of Christianity. Because if Christianity is about anything, brothers and sisters, it is about forgiveness. And what makes Christianity truly powerful is the truth. That when we forgive, we do something so Christ-like that we don't allow the cycle of violence and pain to be perpetuated. And when Jesus is on the cross, Jesus could have said, you want to do this to me? I can call legions of angels and set you all straight right now and perpetuate the cycle of violence. And instead of Jesus calling on legions of angels to do to his oppressors what we would want to do to our oppressors, he says, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. And right at that moment, Jesus is cutting off the cycle of perpetual violence and perpetual hurt against one another. This is why the people at Emmanuel AME Church should be applauded and praised. Because instead of perpetuating the cycle of violence which could have happened in this country. They offered a new way forward. And they said, we are not going to continue this cycle here that what you've done to us, we're not going to do to you. We're going to nip it right here in the bud. And as Brian Zan has said, a powerful quote here, he says, it is forgiveness alone that has the capacity to break the chains of injustice and gives us the possibility of a new future, a future unchained from the past and free of bitterness. And God has a great future for us, not just as a country, but every single one of you in this room. There is a future that will open up to you and open up to me if we go in the way of Jesus 
and not continue the perpetual cycle of violence against another person. Whether that person is an ex-lover, whether that person is a co-worker, whether that person is a neighbor, whoever it is, that we take on the way of Jesus. Now, how in the world can you do this? Because forgiveness is a crucifixion. If you ever forgive, someone is absorbing the payment. Someone is absorbing the cost. How do we do this? How do we live in the way of Jesus in spite of the atrocities and the pain that comes our way? The first thing that we need to do is trust in the Paschal mystery. And I'll explain that. The Paschal mystery, basically, that word comes from the, 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 the language of Jesus dying and resurrecting. There is a mystery in the kingdom of God, a mystery in Christianity that the way to life is through death. This is the mystery of Christianity, that, that it is death that precedes new life. And every time you forgive, you are participating in the death and resurrection of Jesus. We see the Paschal mystery take place in baptism a couple of weeks ago. We see someone gets baptized and we say, it is out of death that new life is coming up. New possibilities, new future. And every time we forgive, you are participating, there is a death. You are paying the penalty for something. But you are being raised into newness of life. And you are trusting God. That God, even though I don't want to forgive this person, by the grace of God, I'm choosing to forgive because I know I'm tired of living in this bondage. I'm tired of living in this prison. I believe that there's a new reality, a new future, a new resurrected life waiting for me. And so to, tr- to forgive is to trust in this mystery that makes no sense to the world. And this, make, this makes no sense to the world. Because forgiveness, just like the cross, the cross is foolishness to the world. The, cross ha- the, the world has no category for the cross. No category for it. How can it be that, that in the worst moment of human history is also the best moment of human history? The world has no concept and no category for this. And forgiveness is the same thing. It's foolishness to the world. So don't expect your non-Christian friends to get it. Because it's foolishness. But the cross is foolishness. And it's also the power of God that leads to salvation. And so we trust in the Paschal mystery. Secondly is, is forgiveness is something we do over and over and over and over and over. There's never a moment where you just say, I forgive. And you're done. Because you know what happens. You say, I forgive you. And then you get a dream, 3 o'clock in the morning. Your subconscious starts kicking in. And you, and you wake up from your dream, ready to fight. And you realize, I still got work to do. But forgiveness is a process over and over and over and over again. And so don't get on a guilt trip here. When you realize, I'm such a bad Christian, i got to forgive that person over and over again. You're being a human being, but you're choosing the way of the cross over and over and over again. And so forgiveness is something that we do over and over again. How do we move towards forgiveness? What the story is teaching us is remember how, how that God has forgiven you in Christ. That all of us, we talked about the shadow side last week. That all of us in this room have a dark side. All of us in this room has a shadow side. And yet God in Christ has forgiven us. It says, the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, he died for us. He didn't say, when you get your act together, 
and you clean yourself up, then I think about dying for you. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for us. And we remember that God has forgiven us in Christ. And as followers of Christ, that forgiveness somehow, supernaturally, mysteriously, is to flow from our lives. And lastly, it's this. How do we move towards forgiveness? Uh, this, this forgiveness prayer might be helpful. Some of you might not be ready to forgive, but maybe you said this, Lord, I'm not ready to forgive this person, but help me to want to forgive. I'm not ready, Lord. Well, could you help me want to forgive? And give me the desire to even want to want to forgive. And there's those prayers that God answers. And the option before us is, are you going to be forgiven but still be in prison? Or are you going to be forgiven and be a free person? Extending that forgiveness to the world around you. And as I been thinking about my own life this past week, I realized that not only is God calling us to extend forgiveness to others, that for many of us in this room, and people I spoke to after the first service, it became real again that the person that we need to learn how to forgive most is ourselves. Some of us, so many of us are living with shame and guilt, things that we've done years ago, and we still let it hang over our head. Shame and guilt. Maybe you have a certain standard for your life that you're trying to live up to, and you keep failing to live up to that standard. You wish you were at this place a long time ago, and you're not at that place now, and you haven't forgiven yourself. And today's an opportunity for, for you to embrace the truth that, yes, it, you are weak, but in your weakness, God's strength is perfected. And even though you haven't forgiven yourself, God has forgiven you. And God wants you to appropriate the forgiveness that God has offered you to give to yourself. The beautiful thing about the gospel is that the gospel is the good news. That the God who has every right to judge you offers grace and forgiveness instead. That is good news. A God who has every right to judge you offers you grace and forgiveness instead. With humans, this is impossible. With God, nothing is impossible. Let's pray together. I want to invite the worship team to come forward. Some of you have been in this, uh, in a prison for far too long. And Jesus wants to begin a process of setting you free today. And this isn't going to come by power nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And so who is God calling you to move forward towards, towards in forgiveness? Or maybe you need to say that prayer, Lord, help me to even want to forgive this person. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would break down strongholds in this room, prisons, bondage that we find ourselves in. Lord, there is such a future you have for us, for us as individuals, for our families, for our church, for this country. Lord, teach us to walk in the way of Jesus, trusting him that out of pain and death, there is a new life that's coming. 
in this world and in the world to come. And so, Lord, we sing to you words of worship, words of gratitude, words of praise, celebrating the truth that you are the God that forgives us of our sin. May we express that to the world and to ourselves. We sing to you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. Let's all stand and sing together. Jesus was broken for you. He was poured out for you. This is a table of grace. It's a table of forgiveness. And so you can feel free to come up and form a line through there and be reminded of Christ's love uh, for you today. And we have our prayer team to my right. And there's two invitations, really. For some of you, you're not even a Christian today. You came in here, a friend invited you. You've been coming to New Life. You've never crossed the line and said, I want to follow Jesus. You've never done that before. And today's your day. And you felt it. You sent, as, as, as I was preaching, you felt sh the, the shame, the guilt, your sin. And then heard the good news that Jesus Christ has forgiven you. And he's calling you to himself. And if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, maybe you made a decision to come to this church. But you never made a decision to follow Jesus. Today is your day. And our prayer team will be right here to pray with you and help you walk through that process and begin your journey there. And so that's one group of people. The second group of people are those of you that have been forgiven, but you're still in prison. How could that be, Rich? How could I be forgiven by God and yet still be in prison? And we just saw the story how it's possible. By you not taking what you've received and offering it to those around you. And maybe you're in a prison because there's someone that's very difficult to love in your life. And you realize, Rich, I can't do this in my own strength. I need the power of God to do it. And this is why we end every gathering with prayer. Because what would take you hours and years to resolve, the Holy Spirit can do it in a moment. And so this is why we believe in the power of God to set the captives free. And so if you'd like to receive prayer to be free, to walk out of that prison, you can come up here. Downstairs, uh, Red mentioned, uh, Amber will be downstairs in the health center if you'd like to meet her, so be sure uh, to go downstairs. Uh, for the rest of us, I want to invite us to open our hands to, have, to, to heaven to receive a blessing. And if you're new here, the reason we close every gathering like this is because you cannot give what you have not received. And so this is a receiving so that we can then give to the world around us. And so with your hands in your hearts in the posture of receiving. Brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you. May he fill you with peace. May you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit with the courage and the faith to extend forgiveness by the grace of God. And may you experience a new resurrection this week. May you encounter God's love and his power in ways you have not before. So I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the forgiving name of Jesus and the people of God said, amen. Grace and peace, everybody. Thank you.